Good evening. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm delighted to see you all here. Goodness knows how replacement bus services I expect most of you. But it is very, very good of you to come. This is um, Private Eye Goes Live. We go off the page and onto the stage for 2016, which has been an extraordinary year um, <laughs> by any, any criterion. Um, and to help me tonight, could you please welcome my fantastic cast, Craig Brown. <laughs> Lewis McLeod. John Sessions. Late. And Jan Ravens. Thank you. We start off um, with the biggest event of the year, which was covered in Private Eye. We reprinted an article from the Daily Turkey Graph, uh, which I know a number of you subscribe to. Um, this was an event earlier in the year, and the headline read, Turkeys vote for Christmas in referendum cliffhanger. By the narrowest of margins, the majority of Britain's turkeys voted in favour of Christmas. The decision, which will have a dramatic impact on the lives of millions of turkeys, came following months of arguments about the pros and cons of leaving the farmyard. The proponents of leave argued that even though they weren't sure what would happen to turkeys when they left the farm in a truck on December the 24th, <laughs> it was well worth the risk to find out. <laughs> Said one, I'm happy to put my neck on the line if it means that we can take control of our own destiny. <laughs> the minority Romaine turkeys had claimed that life outside the farmyard would be very, very much worse, but this was dismissed by their critics as Project Fear and, de and described as gobbledygook. However, already there are signs that some turkeys are regretting the so-called Brexmas vote, as evidence is piling up that come Christmas lunch, they will in fact have their heads cut off, their giblets put in a plastic bag and be well and truly stuffed. <laughs> Said one worried turkey. When I voted for Christmas, I, I didn't think it would actually <laughs> happen. <laughs> I, this, despite the evidence of the past <laughs> 2,000 years, I was swayed by the promises that there would be a bright new dawn on Boxing Day. No one said that I wouldn't see it. And no one mentioned bread sauce, roast potatoes, and in particular, the much-loathed Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Thank you very much to the cast. Now, in the interests of balance, obviously, um, I have invited a special guest to give us a seasonal recipe. It is none other than the Prime Minister, um, Theresa May, who is going to give us her recipe for um, Brexmas cake. Yes, this is my recipe for Brexmas cake. And um, it is very much something that you can have and eat, or <laughs> eat and have. The ingredients uh, are nuts and more nuts. <laughs> complete lemons, plenty of those, uh, a pinch of salt, very large, sweeteners, raspberries, and cherry pickings. 
and a lot more, but I am not going to give my secret recipe away <laughs> until the end of March. <laughs> Method. Using free movement of whisk, over-egg the mixture till it is neither hard nor soft. <laughs> Cook at Article 50. <laughs> Wait for it to rise and watch it fall until it is deliciously half-baked. Be careful not to burn your fingers and put to one side to allow tempers to cool. Warning, Brexmas cake may not turn out to be as rich as you hoped. You may not want to have it or eat it. <laughs> Thank you very much to the Prime Minister. It really is time to move on, I think as we're constantly told. Um, so it's time to play Dumb Britain. Now this is the feature in Private Eye which has real answers to real questions from real contestants in real quiz shows. And these questions are not made up and they come from Tipping Point, Celebrity Mastermind, 15 to 1, The Chase, Pointless, Two Tribes and Eggheads. But for reasons of convenience we're going to have all the questions asked by Bradley Walsh who's here in the figure of Lewis. These are all real questions. Which brothers made the first powered flight? Uh, the Everly brothers. <laughs> In Christianity, Calvary is the location where which biblical figure was believed to have been crucified? Joan of Arc. <laughs> In 1955, which British Prime Minister resigned and was replaced by Anthony Eden? John Major. Grenadiers were traditionally named after what weapon that they threw? Spears. <laughs> Which world leader did the CIA make over 600 attempts at assassinating, including one with an exploding cigar? Bill Clinton. <laughs> Which Northern Ireland politician led the Democratic Unionist Party from its foundation in 1971 until 2008? Jerry Adams. <laughs> the trading town of Timbuktu is located on what continent? Ireland. <laughs> which, which Italian scientist broadcast the first radio signals in the late 1890s? Galileo. <laughs> what European capital city is named after the Greek goddess Athena? Uh, Rome? <laughs> In which country would you find the Sphinx? Germany. When was the United Nations Charter signed? 1066. <laughs> right, we're looking for an old Etonian, initials G.O., who wrote the 1945 novel Animal Farm. Oh, George Osborne. <laughs> Name a James Bond theme tune sung by Dame Shirley Bassey. Dr. Pussy. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, those are all things you don't have to make up, but this year is entirely full of events that you, you couldn't really make up. We have a new president-elect, uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> And fortunately, he tweets late at night. Um, and we have a selection of his recent tweets. Um, for the purposes of this, 
uh, Craig Brown is going to imitate the sound of the tweet uh, by saying, tweet! <laughs> and Lewis will be, uh, <laughs> I can't say it straight, the president-elect. <laughs> Go. Tweet! They call it the Great Wall of China, let me tell you. <laughs> it's, it's a crumbling wreck, no plumbing, no electricity, <laughs> not that great. <laughs> Have you seen how close Russia has gotten to Alaska recently? I just measured it. Not even a quarter inch on my map. Frightening. <laughs> Tweet! Obama just sitting on his African-American ass doing zilch about forthcoming Soviet invasion of Alaska. Weakest prez in our history, faced with threat, acts like a woman. <laughs> Tweet! Answer me this. Why is it when Obama makes a speech, he always faces Mecca? Just watched Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. The woman's a spoiled brat sleazebag, hanging out with undersized, scruffy, garbage perverts. Tweet! Whistle while you work? Not in my time you don't, buddy. Tweet! Snow White was a Mexican, and most of that snow went up her nose. <laughs> Tweet! Switzerland, filthy country full of AIDS, heavily in debt, lowest life expectancy in the world. The skiing's garbage, too, apparently. Tweet! Correction, for Switzerland, read Swaziland. <laughs> <laughs> but my point still holds. Tweet! Swaziland, so deceitful, trying <laughs> to pass itself off as Switzerland with crafty spelling rules. But you can't fool me, you Asian scumbags. No disrespect to Pope Francis on his U.S. tour, but the guy looks like a fruit in his frilly white dress. Fire your tailor, Francis. <laughs> Tweet! Huge respect for Queen Elizabeth of Britain. Oh, but face it, guys, she's not a 10. <laughs> Tweet! No, I never said she's a lesbian, only if she was my wife. I'd get her to lose a few pounds. Act like a real woman. Show more cleavage. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Thank you very much, Donald Trump. The American election was a big event, but it wasn't the main event of 2016. That, of course, was the wedding of Rupert Murdoch <laughs> to Jerry Hall. At Private Eye, we have a resident romantic novelist to cover events of this magnitude. She's called Dame Sylvie Crin, and this is her really quite affecting short story called Something Old, Something Older. <laughs> After a whirlwind romance, octogenarian billionaire media mogul Rupert Murdoch is marrying the beautiful ex-supermodel Leggy Hall. A light drizzle shrouded the historic church of St. Young Brides in Fleet Street <laughs> as the limousine conveying the most powerful man in the world drew up outside. Rupert Murdoch walked down the aisle, nodding to a dazzling array of Britain's great, good, and Alan Yentob. Jeez, thought Rupert. You'd have thought little Yintop could have changed out of his pyjamas for the occasion. <laughs> I paid him enough money for hacking his phone to afford best bib and bloody... Still, at least some of the guests had dressed up, 
including Her Majesty's Secretary of State for Justice, Mr Michael Gopher, <laughs> accompanied by his stylish wife, Sarah Vane, dressed in a gold lame poncho with matching flares. <laughs> as he took his seat in the front row, Rupert could hear the roar of the paparazzi as his beautiful bride arrived. This way, Leggy. Over here, Leggy. In the middle, Leggy. Y'all have a nice day now, you hear? drawled the sultry southern belle with the seven-foot legs as she sassayed in her elegant Viagra blue designer Vivian sweatshop, <laughs> wedding dress towards the church, accompanied by her stunningly attractive bridesmaid daughters, sulky and pouty. Show us some more leg leggy, flashy your knickers, go on, take your top <laughs> off, love. Rupert frowned at this lack of deference at what were, after all, his sacred nuptials. But before he could fire anyone, the organ struck up with the processional music, Vivaldi's Gloria Honeyford and the vicar moved swiftly through the ceremony to the plighting of the trough. I, Rupert Dirtswell Didgeridoo Murdoch, take thee, Rebecca. <laughs> I mean Wendy. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I mean Leggy. <laughs> the vicar decided in the circumstances to wrap things up as quickly as possible. I now pronounce you billionaire and wife. <laughs> the party moved on to the themed reception in the upstairs snug of the ex-printer's arms in Riot Street, Wapping. Rupert tapped his champagne flute to call the room to order. I'm gonna read the telegrams. This one's from the Queen. A cheer went up from the clearly impressed coterie of celebrities and colleagues. Dear Mr. Murdoch, congratulations on reaching 100 years old. <laughs> Bloody hell! Rupert hastily began another. Dear Rupert, I'm sorry I can't be with you, but my fee for attendance at weddings is $50,000, payable to the Tony Blair Foundation in Grand Cayman. <laughs> Struth. Rupert was getting flustered now. Surely there was a genuine expression of goodwill amongst all the apologies for absence. This one looked promising. Good luck, Reggie and Lupert. You're gonna need it, gullible Glandad and Gleedy Fortune Cookie Hunter, Rav from Wendy, Dragon Reggie. Ladies and gentlemen, Heir of Sorrows. Of course, there were big and serious events this year, and we required, certainly in private eye, proper commentators. We had uh, the former Conservative leader, um, Sir John Major, who uh, compiled a secret diary uh, for us during the run-up to the referendum. Here's a rather revealing um, entry. I was reading the morning paper while enjoying my regular bowl of ready Brexit when I could not help but notice the growing tide of malcontents in favour of leaving the European Union. This will never do, oh no, I remarked to Norman. It's like those bastards all those years ago who made my life a not inconsiderable misery. What do you mean, John? Asked Norman inquisitively. Leaving seems to be, to me, very dangerous, I said. The broken relationship is more likely to be poisonous than harmonious. Resentment will be deep. Negotiations with an irate ex-partner could be very difficult, oh yes. It came to my attention that Norman had been somewhat quiet during my informed peroration. You seem somewhat quiet, my dear, I observed, observantly. <laughs> At this, she broke her silence. 
talking of bastards, she said, and broken relationships, <laughs> resentment would indeed be deep. And with that, she began to pour the tea, missing my cup entirely. <laughs> I felt a not inconsiderable burning sensation in the groin area of my striped Winsiette pajamas, causing me to say quite loudly, ah. John Major. John Major is still with us. Some senior conservatives, who some of you will remember, have passed on. Fortunately, at Private Eye, we have our own eulogist, threnodist, E.J. Thribb, who writes poems on the recently deceased. And we've got a number of them tonight. The first is this one. It's In Memoriam, Lord Parkinson, former chairman of the Conservative Party. So farewell then, Cecil Parkinson. You were once a high-flying Tory minister, tipped to become Tory leader. But you were best known for having a love child with your secretary. So you had to resign in disgrace. You should have known that you were only allowed one mistress, i.e. Mrs. Thatcher. <laughs> P.S. I use the term love child rather than bastard. <laughs> because that really applies you. <laughs> well. Thrib often gets carried away. Um, not only do we have um, our own poet, but we have um, an extraordinarily um, upmarket set of parodic features, usually provided by Mr. Craig Brown. And tonight, um, he is going to give us Robert McFarlane, who you may know as a sensitive, almost mystic travel writer, who digs up archaic English lost words. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Craig Brown channeling Robert McFarlane. On the track ahead, a banana skin, a denuded starfish of pulpily nutritious fruit caught me unawares. Had this discarded skin been awaiting me, perhaps in the hope of hastening my personal voyage towards closer contact with that deep, dark, muddy earth? My foot slipped on the banana skin, causing the rest of my body to cartwheel head over heels into a muddy ditch. From the Gaelic, ditch, <laughs> meaning literally bath of the gods. One second, one second I'd been Icarus to the banana's sun, the next I found myself its Prometheus, spread eagled in the splutter and blubber of the dirtiest of dirts. I had arrived at an intimacy with the <laughs> I surfaced gasping. In that instant, I'd been baptized in mud. I was born again in my muddiness, no longer just another rambler with a notebook, but a soul who had bathed himself in the dark, sticky broth of the land. I emerged from my bath of the gods as a wizard or wise man, emulsified from head to toe in its gloopy vestment of priestly slime. 
The banana skin had, albeit unwittingly, acted as a magic carpet, transporting me through time to a special place, a place beyond human history. I thereby besought myself refuge in an ancient hostelry known to craggy old local Kreutz as the Weatherspoons. <laughs> as I chockstoned myself into its fedspa guelaine, the simple rustic folk, Kreutz and Kreutesses, reeled to the walls, their faces scarred with horror, their gnarled fingers clutching at their misshapen noses. In some peculiarly sensitive, profoundly mystical way, it was as though they had somehow sniffed the arrival of a fellow of Emmanuel College, Cambridge, <laughs> and their sense of awe was palpable. <laughs> the Garblack had come home to cast. Craig Brown. Uh, Private Eye, of course, can be populist and popular. Um, and uh, one of our uh, most uh, popular features is commentator balls. Um, these, again, are real quotations from sports commentators um, who are trying to think of something to say about, usually, football. Um, uh, Readers send these in, and they are um, a terrific section um, of the paper for us. These are all from this year, and we'll start with football. This was Robbie Savage on BBC One. Have a look at your ref watch. <laughs> Neil Lennon uh, talks sport on Leicester City's championship victory. We won't see this again. 5,000 to 1 to win the league. What are the odds? <laughs> Glenn Hoddle on ITV. They're sitting ducks just standing there. <laughs> A commentator on Sky Sports News. Aston Villa will be doing cart horses if they get a draw at Southampton. <laughs> Danny Murphy on TalkSport. Every man in this Liverpool team is playing to keep his place, with the possible exception of four or five players. <laughs> Mark Lawrenson on BBC One. How can I describe Jimmy, Jimmy Hill without being too much over the top? He was like a messiah! <laughs> <laughs> a commentator on Sky Sports News again. The pitch is half mud, half sand, and half grass. <laughs> Martin McCune on BBC One. He's the glue that makes everything tick. Dan Roan on Radio 4. This will inevitably pour fire on the flames. <laughs> Stuart Pearce on TalkSport. The manager's attitude will spread like wildfly. <laughs> David Miller on BBC Two. They're in the driving seat. It's like being at the back of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and a commentator on Channel 5. Steve Evans, the Leeds manager, missed the goal as he'd gone to the toilet. He had to ask his number two what happened. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's it.
No. So, um, on to something a little more upmarket, um, privatised coverage of uh, politics, particularly when it relates to Shakespeare. Um, we're now going to read um, an extract from the Daily Chain Mail, uh, which was a very popular newspaper in Shakespeare's day. And this is a story about a furious Lady Macbeth uh, defending herself over a comparison to Mrs. Gove. <laughs> Lady Macbeth hit out angrily last night at suggestions that she was in some way similar to Mrs. Gove, who notoriously incited her weedy Scottish husband to murder his old friend. Lady Macbeth was said to be furious at attempts to compare her responsible political strategy over the Scottish throne with what she called Mrs. Gove's vaulting <laughs> ambition. Lady Macbeth told friends, My slogan was the perfectly acceptable out-out damn spot. Whereas the treacherous Gove came up with out-out damn foreigners. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Gove were against freedom of movement across Europe, whereas my husband and I merely wanted to restrict the movement of trees from Burnham Wood to Dunsinane. <laughs> there is no comparison. She continued. Mrs. Gove believes she's the power behind the throne and writes hundreds of vain pieces about herself in the Daily Mail. See page seven, eight, nine, tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow. <laughs> I, on the other hand, keep myself modestly out of the daily chain mail for the whole of my husband's career. Lady Macbeth argued that unlike the amateurist Goves, she and her husband had faith in the experts, consulting the three witches at every point and following their advice. She concluded, Mrs. Gove is no Lady Macbeth. She's much worse. She's nothing but a hobble-bobble toil and troublemaker. <laughs> Thank you very much, Lady Macbeth. <laughs> anyway, it really is time for balance now. Um, and uh, Private Eyes always uh, tried to provide that, um, particularly in this difficult year. This was a manifesto, the promises given in full before the referendum by Mr Nigel Farage, <laughs> who we're very lucky to have with us. Mr Farage. No, 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 let me speak. <laughs> when the UK frees itself from the financial shackles of the unelected bureaucrats of Brussels, the new Brexit government, led by myself, will immediately receive the EU rebate of 700 billion trillion a week, which we will then spend on the following. One, brand new NHS with new hospitals, millions of doctors and nurses from all over the world, except Europe. And a brand new cure for cancer. Two, Brand new transport system with high-speed trains going everywhere at high speed, except to Europe. Three, sunshine for everyone, guaranteed 24 hours a day, 12 months a year, including nights. Four, things as they used to be in the good old days. Five, properly shaped bananas cooked in a powerful British kettle by the nice Polish carer before they go home and leave all the old people to die. <laughs> Six, bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover. Seven, a nightingale singing in Berkeley Square. Eight. Raindrops on roses, whiskers on kittens. <laughs> Nine, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Ten, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favourite <laughs> things. Thank you very Mine's much. Mine's a large one. Yes, Rush. I'm drinking and yes, I'm bragging. Bye.
Um, since we're here at the, the National, um, uh, I could not resist having um, uh, one of our main features about celebrities in all walks of life, which is called Me and My Spoon, in which we take an in-depth look at a celebrity by their spoon collection. And this was, I thought, a rather um, interesting piece uh, in which we interviewed Alan Bennett. Um, and we asked Alan, do you have a favourite spoon? There is, I suppose. <laughs> One spoon of which I'm particularly fond, which Rupert and I found whilst browsing in Mr Midgley's antique shop at the end of Kirby Road in Harrogate. We'd been to look around the little church of St Peter's in Dudley, where there's supposed to be some fine medieval stained glass, but there was a wedding going on and we had to eat our sandwiches in the graveyard. <laughs> the vicar apologised, which was kind of him, but I was disappointed by how ordinary he seemed. He didn't even have a moustache. I'm sure vicars used to be camper in the old days, but then <laughs> along came Mrs Thatcher and put an end <laughs> to all of that. Anyway, we treated ourselves to a fruit scone in Giggleston, where Virginia Woolf once tried to seduce the Lady Mayoress by pretending to play the tuba in the colliery band. <laughs> the subject of my 1972 play, Mucky Brass, <laughs> which Nick Heitner directed at the National, was thought I heard of the great Elsie <laughs> Trumpington and Francis Delatour doubling up, as we so often do in Midgley, where, no, we've jumped a line here. Um, <laughs> the, the great Elsie Trumpington and Francis Delatour doubling up as Mrs. Wolfe and W.H. Auden. <laughs> we ended up, as we so often do in Midgley's, where Rupert spotted this teaspoon, nothing flashy, mind, just a decent 19th century stainless steel spoon from the Sheffield factory of Smut and Whimsy, <laughs> which would be of little interest to all the rich, young bankers busy running perfectly good local houses with their fancy renovated kitchens filled with expensive silverware, but was the sort of honest spoon that could be used to add sugar to a cup of tea in a book-lined study in Primrose Hill on a wet afternoon in February. John Gilgood used it once and said to me, It's like you, Ellen. Sweet, but a bit of a stirrer. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Sessions. Uh, 2016 was um, a year of people being offended, offended by each other, offended by opinions they didn't want to hear, and a year of censorship, particularly amongst young people and at our universities. It ended up with Private Eye having to release a guide to how university debates will be conducted in the future, <laughs> and this is how it will be done. One, the proposer puts forward their motion to the House. Two, the opposer agrees with the proposer's motion. Three. The proposer wholeheartedly agrees that the opposer was right to support the motion. Four. The opposer agrees that the proposer couldn't be more right about agreeing that they were right to support the motion. 
five. Opening up the debate to the floor, the audience puts it to the proposer and the opposer that it isn't really a debate if everyone is just agreeing with one another. Six. The proposer and the opposer immediately agree to call security and have the audience ejected from the debating hall. Seven. The proposer puts forward a motion that in future only audiences who agree with the motion should be allowed to <laughs> attend debates. Eight. The opposer wholeheartedly agrees with the motion. Nine. The motion is carried and the famous quotation from Voltaire is rewritten. I don't agree with what you say and you are no platformed until further notice. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the procedure. Anyway, here's someone who's never offended um, and who uh, bounces back whatever anyone seems to say about him. It is, of course, our new Foreign Secretary. <laughs> at time of going to press. <laughs> and we're very fortunate at Private Eye. We have an exclusive column by Boris. Um, and this was on the day of the win of the referendum. And Boris wrote for us. Ladies and gentlemen, our Foreign Secretary. Cripes, I didn't see that one coming. There was I, thinking we've had our fun. Four-day top-hole campaign and made friend Dave look like a prize chump. And then the jolly old voters will do their stuff and let him scrape home by the seat of his pants. But then, blow me down, Mr and Mrs Britain got a bit carried away and we ended up winning. Blimey, that wasn't the idea at all. Then, blow me down again. What do I see in the old goggle box? But defeated Dave, blubbing on the steps of number 10, telling the nation that he was packing it in as soon as possible and leaving the whole wretched shit fest to be sorted out by someone else, i.e. us. Or to be more specific, yours truly, who romped home with his 17 million votes and ended up with the worst poisoned chalice in the history of the world. Cripes and double cripes. So I rang the Gover in a bit of a flap to ask whether he'd heard the dreadful news. A uh, bleary Gover stumbled onto the line. Oh, this can't be happening, Boris. It can't be true. Uh, I, I told him that for once I wasn't lying. It was far too serious for that. <laughs> Sounding thoroughly brown trousered, Michael said, So what's the plan then, Boris? At which point alarm bells started to ring in Bojo's head. Ding, 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 wah, 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 wah. And I said, Hang on, Gover. I thought you had the plan. You were meant to be the clever one. At this point, the monster went deathly quiet, then stammered, don't worry, bother, you can trust me. I'll bring the plan along to your campaign launch and double blow me down. I didn't see the next bit coming either. Gove's plan was to betray me before I could betray him. <laughs> cripes, cripes, and triple cripes. It's like the Roman chaps I kept going on about, the noble Borisus Maximus being knifed on the Capitol steps by the scheming assassin Govus Maximus Minimus. What to do? Do I stand and fight and honour the 17 million who supported me? Or does gallant Bozza run away, bravely leave everyone up shit creeks on paddle and live to fight or possibly run away another day? No brainer. Bye. <laughs> Um, again, in the interest of balance, I thought we need another voice 
um, on the Europe debate, not just Boris, someone who we can all trust. So in this case, I've gone for Lord Julian Fellows. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. <laughs> the question we must all ask ourselves of our fellow Europeans is whether or not they imbibe their soup in the correct fashion. <laughs> These little things are really so important. As my wife, Lady Fellows, will tell you, Britain has been a member of the European Union for 40 years or more. So even the most, dare one say it, ill-educated of our fellow members should surely have learned not to drag their wretched spoons towards them by now. But who knows? It was originally known as the common market. <laughs> and I fear they called it that for good reason. Julian Fellows. <laughs> Time for another a eulogy for, for one who's been lost to us this year, a year when many, many um, famous people have died, uh, but Thrib doesn't tend to write about them. Um, this is, um, uh, in memoriam, Michael Jim Delegati, a McDonald's employee and inventor. So, farewell then, Michael Jim Delegati, creator of the Big Mac. You were 98 years, not stones. <laughs> You helped make America what it is today, supersized. <laughs> if we're honest, your invention was not exactly healthy, but at least it filled a hole. And now, sadly, <laughs> so do you. Back to popular pastimes. This was the year of Euro 2006. More football, and who can forget it? Pri Private Eye uh, reported this with a huge piece with the headline, Euro 2016, anger as football disrupts violence. The world of violence was rocked to its foundations as an outbreak of football threatened to ruin the Euro 2016 hooligan championship. Time after time, England hooligans had to put down their broken bottles and chairs, stop fighting, and sit through 90 minutes of uninterrupted football. <laughs> Said one yob. Uh, it was appalling. This is not what we came here for. We came here to drink too much, enjoy the fighting, and end up in jail. We did not expect the sickening sight of a one-all draw against <laughs> mediocre Russian football side. Said another. It's just a minority of people, just 22 to be precise, <laughs> who want to play football. <laughs> it's terrible when it all kicks off. It spoils it for the majority who want to enjoy a jolly good punch-up. <laughs> the authorities believe they know the organiser of the football, a Mr Roy <laughs> Hodgson. <laughs> who has unashamedly been caught on camera, running up and down the touchline, orchestrating the horrific scenes of football. <laughs> there is no place for this kind of sportsmanship in <laughs> modern violence. Said the organiser of the pressure group, kick heads, not balls. 
actually kick their balls as well. <laughs> Late score, shot draw. England eight, people in hospital. Russia eight, people deported. <laughs> now, back to politics. Um, and uh, I've been trying to avoid the subject, but the Labour Party um, has had quite a year. And um, in that year, there have been um, elections, and Mr Corbyn has won. Um, he didn't have universal support amongst former Labour le leaders, and in particular, um, Lord Kinnock came out with somewhat lukewarm support. All I'm saying <laughs> is that Jeremy Corbyn needs to take a long, hard, hard, and long look at himself in the mirror and decide if he's totally and utterly unelectable. And if he concludes that he is both utterly and totally, he should not go on and on and on and on like some of his predecessors. <laughs> As leader of the Labour Party. But if he wants to lead Labour back into power, he needs to totally and utterly and utterly and totally <laughs> learn the lessons of the past and connect with the voters in a succinct, brief, concise, and in no way long-winded, or loquacious, <laughs> nay, verbally <laughs> obtuse and over-embroidered manner. And if Mr. Corbyn can heed, understand, accept, and follow my advice based on years and years and years of leading the Labour Party to victory, then he'll be all right. <laughs> One of the biggest stories, uh, clearly, of 2016 was Traingate, um, when Jeremy Corbyn was sitting on the floor <laughs> of a train and claimed that there were no seats. And uh, when it appeared um, that there were some available seats on the train, his office offered Private Eye the following explanations, all, I must add now, entirely plausible. All the seats were taken. Some of the seats were taken and all the others were reserved. All of the seats were taken by luggage. Or by small children. Or by bags containing small children. <laughs> or by Pokemon Go figures visible only to Jeremy on his phone. <laughs> all the seats were taken by his wife. All the seats were taken by his other wives. All the seats were deliberately taken by Blairites to deprive Jeremy of much-needed rest before taking on the might of Owen Smith <laughs> in the leadership challenge. All the seats were reserved by Richard Branson in a deliberate attempt to undermine renationalisation of the railways. All the seats were taken by midget journalists from the mainstream media in a deliberate attempt to discredit Jeremy. Jeremy had a seat but gave it up to a blind leper <laughs> who, when he touched the hem of Jeremy's jacket, was miraculously healed! That's the one! <laughs> I mean, clearly 2016 is a year when we've all uh, celebrated a bearded socialist, an idealist, a man who took on the Americans, uh, a man who, who kept the idea of the revolution alive for dreamers. That is Jeremy. Um, but also Castro, um, <laughs> who sadly is no longer with us. And there were some extraordinary tributes to Castro on his death. And we collected a few of them together, starting with, of course, George Galloway. Fidel wasn't perfect, which of us is? 
And obviously, none of us likes torturing or imprisoning our political enemies, unless we really have to. <laughs> but he can certainly take his place with Mao and Lenin as one of the outstanding social reformers of our time. The tribute was backed up by Diane Abbott, who offered this as a tribute to Castro. I'm very sorry, really sorry, but yes, of course, it's very wrong, very wrong to persecute LGBT people, whatever their sexual orientation. <laughs> but you're not getting my point, and my point is this. I'm very sorry, but it's simply <laughs> not good enough to say, well, he must have been a bad thing because he locked people up when we ourselves, Andrew, <laughs> are locking all sorts of people up all the time. And are you really saying, are you really saying that there are absolutely 110% no LGBT people in British prisons? I'm sorry, but that's my point entirely. And if you'll just let me finish, <laughs> frankly, without Fidel Castro, We'd never have a National Health Service, <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that's a simple fact. And I'm with Jeremy on this. Diane Abbott. <laughs> More poetry uh, from Trib, this time uh, on the death of Leonard Cohen. Uh, this is lines on the death of Leonard Cohen, singer-songwriter who should have won the Nobel Prize instead of Bob Dylan, because at least he would have had a decent reason for not turning up this week. <laughs> <laughs> so, farewell then, Leonard, or should I say, so long, as in Marianne. My friend Keith used to listen to you, sad and depressed in his bedsit in the 70s. He's listening to you now, sad and depressed in his comfortable detached house in the suburbs. <laughs> Hallelujah, that was your most famous song. I wonder if you are hearing it now, as the angels do yet another annoying cover version. <laughs> R.I.P. Leonard Cohen. It's time for something a lot jollier than that. Um, and uh, it's time for the new Scandinavian upbeat well-being craze. This is Huga, uh, spelt Higgy, uh, which I'm sure you've all been reading about everywhere, um, and it's, it's taken over the whole of Britain. It's a Scandinavia Scandinavian way <laughs> um, of feeling better. And Craig Brown is here as our guide to Huge. The Danish pathway to happiness is Higge. <laughs> what is the meaning of this Higge? I hear you ask. If it would just pipe down for one second, I would try to tell you. For cosy and fun, read Hugge. Hugge is your log fire flickering on the head of a reindeer, mounted on a shield and nailed to the wall by your great uncle Johan. Hugge is the lovely warm feeling you get when you wrap up well and go stand in the freezing cold one morning in November, and you think to yourself, 
in only nine months' time, we will all be able to enjoy the sun once more. <laughs> How do we do it, everyone wants to know. How do we Danes make ourselves so hygge all through the year? Here's how. In the spring, we fill in our tax returns. <laughs> this gives us such a great feeling of community. When we have finished, we celebrate with a traditional Danish drink made from parsley, dill, and marzipan. <laughs> then we wrap up well in a warm scarf, a thick jersey, and insulated fur boots, and we think to ourselves, summer is on its way. In the summer, we forage for mushrooms of the non-poisonous variety, and then we cook them over a candle. <laughs> we love candles in Denmark. For many years, we use them instead of television. <laughs> After we have finished our mushrooms, we join together in singing one of our much-loved traditional Danish songs. I'm a little frog, you are a little frog, he's a little frog. Oh, yes, 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 yes. We are all happy to belong to the family of little frogs. <laughs> Cue laughter and hygge. <laughs> oh, no, I have not finished. <laughs> we never interrupt in Denmark. <laughs> in, in the autumn... We look back on the summer and we say to ourselves, what a marvelous fortnight that was. <laughs> <laughs> Then we celebrate its memory by eating traditional platefuls of porchafata or fatty pork, sometimes wearing comical hats. In the winter, we cheer ourselves up by sitting around a roaring log fire in our gym jams, watching the very latest box set of The Killing. <laughs> What could be cozier? Watching a brilliant TV show about, about a deranged serial killer preying on little children is one of my favorite ways to experience true hygge. <laughs> <laughs> It's not just the Scandinavians, the Brits know how to cheer themselves up. And this was 2016, the year of the Olympics in Rio. And the BBC did us proud. This was a typical BBC uh, broadcast from the middle of the Olympics. And here are today's news headlines from the BBC. Oh, it's gold, gold, <laughs> gold all the way. History's being made as Britain's golden boys and girls surge to glory in the most exciting Olympic Games ever to have been held. Over now to Claire Balding for the latest Olympic record to be smashed by a brick. Hi, I've just broken the world and Olympic record for being constantly on television without a break. I've just notched up 738 hours, 12 minutes and 38 seconds. Claire, how do I feel? Well, Claire, after all the training and all the hard work, I just can't believe I've made it this far. It's like a dream come true. Would you like to cry, Claire? Because then we can put that in the highlights package. <laughs> Brilliant, Claire. Now back to the studio. Thank you very much. News just in, Claire Balding has just wept as she broke her own record. <laughs> Claire Balding! <laughs> uh, 
Um, moving on swiftly to Dumb Britain. It's time for a quick second round. And again, these questions all come from Tipping Point, Celebrity Mastermind, 15 to 1. But for reasons of convenience, um, we're going to have all the questions asked by Sandy Toxfig. Curiously. Name a character in the Bible beginning with G. Gandalf. <laughs> Which Roman road stretches from Rome to Brindisi in southern Italy? Is it the A5? Shakespeare is often referred to as the bard of what? Uh, Yorkshire. <laughs> Which famous figure became, became Queen of Egypt on the death of her father in 51 BC? Queen Elizabeth I. <laughs> Which fabric is made by worms? Leather. Which Prime Minister did Jerry Halliwell call the first Spice Girl? John Major. Name any Commonwealth countries in the Northern Hemisphere. New Zealand. Which cathedral was destroyed in the Great Fire of London? Coventry. Name a chemical element, a chemical element in the second half of the alphabet. Flame. What is the name given to the series of conflicts fought in medieval England between the houses of Lancaster and York? Game of Thrones. <laughs> Which artistic movement that originated in Italy in the 14th century takes its name from the French word for rebirth? The Can-Can. <laughs> Who was Prime Minister for much of the Second World War? George Michael. The medical specialism ENT. E stands for ear, N stands for nose. What does T stand for? Testosterone. <laughs> All real, Dumb Britain, compiled by Marcus Berkman, who is here. Um, sent in by the public, but compiled by the very brilliant Marcus. Thank you. Um, more or less time just to have um, a quick word from our new columnist, um, the uh, first lady-elect, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> um, of the United States of America, Melania Trump, um, who's very, very keen on some British political figures. Melania Trump. We go crazy for traditional old-fashioned English gentlemen like Piers Morgan and Nigel Farage. So elegant and gracious. Nigel dropped by our residence last week. He true gentleman, so posh, green, big green at me and say, you got a real cracker there, Donald. <laughs> He's so posh and charming, like James Bond. Nigel know how to make a woman feel great about herself. I tell him, Nigel, Donald really want you to work for him in White House. And Nigel, he looks so happy, just like schoolboy. And I say, you have driver license? <laughs> you be our top of the range, English chauffeur, Nigel. You make good money, smart uniform, cell phone, all come free. <laughs> Nigel, he suddenly looks serious and say, thank you. He think about it. Gentlemen, Melania Trump. UKIP do have a new leader, uh, Paul Nuttall, um, who uh, ran into some trouble about whether his um, doctorate um, had in fact um, been honestly worked for or whether in fact it had been faked. 
um, and whether it was an over-enthusiastic researcher who had compiled, compiled his CV, which had a certain amount of um, holes in it. Anyway, um, we decided to take his um, uh, PhD seriously and issue a full citation in Latin um, from his university. And if you just bear with me, this is the Paul Nuttall PhD citation in full. Salutamus Paulus Natalus, Dux Kippery, <laughs> et bogus doctor philosophicorum, <laughs> Liverpudlius Spem Universitas, Olim Polytechnicus Scousorum. <laughs> Cum curriculum vitae fabricatum vis celebris ludius pedibus sferae per tranmeri peripatetici, et astronauticus. Et Victor Olympicus, centum metrum contra Usanus Bultum. Et recipiens prix Nobel literatis, et inventum mondum totalis webus, et caetera, et caetera, sed ridiculissimus Pinocchius momentus, <laughs> quam nutalus dixit non insanus sum, <laughs> et non rectus extremis sum. Et in futurum ero primus ministerum Britannica magna, Gaudiamus igita. <laughs> and I'm afraid the last word, I'm afraid we are back to the main subject of the year. And this was a letter uh, written by Sir Herbert Gusset, um, a long-term contributor, who felt obliged to write to the Daily Telegraph on the subject I'm afraid, of the referendum. And um, this was the letter from Sir Herbert Gusset. <laughs> Dear Sir, as someone who has watched the referendum campaign with mounting disquiet, <laughs> may I make one observation on the effect of voting remain upon the young people of this nation. Yes, it begins with voting remain. But it ends with prostitution, <laughs> alcoholism, and a lifelong addiction to crack cocaine. In June this year, hundreds of millions of uneducated young men and women descended on the polling booths high on illegal drugs, their minds warped by crystal meth, and voted to be ruled by a foreign super-state Hell-bent on destroying all that is great about our precious country, they failed in their murderous <laughs> quest. <laughs> but the rest of us are left reaping the whirlwind. The Remainers are on the rampage of revenge. And the statistics bear it out. Vomit in our streets. Pools of urine in our shop doors. Unsavory hardcore porn in our primary schools. Old folk knifed in their own front parlors. 
Is this Gomorrah? Is it Sodom? No. This is Britain. In 2016. Ladies and gentlemen. Could I just say thank you very much indeed. Um, we will be signing copies of the 2016, that, that year, um, annual in the Circle Foyer. And the people um, who wrote a lot of the material will be there to um, sign their copies. In the meantime, could I thank you all very much for coming out tonight and also to thank my brilliant cast. Sessions, Ravens, McLeod and Craig.